0: I wanna ask you if you would to take God's word today and open with me to John chapter two for this morning's message and for our time together today. Over the past month now, we have been really observing various special days and celebrations. And we've gone from taking of the Lord's Supper to Easter Sunday and baptism, which has been wonderful. Last week, the commissioning of new deacons here at Crosslink and today is Mother's Day and we celebrate that today. And within that, every single day that we've opened God's Word together, there's kind of been a sub-theme that has developed in the midst of all the special occasions. This was not our plan or purpose, but as God has been leading, that sub-theme has been loud and clear. It's been the theme of believing in Jesus and obeying Jesus. In other words, maybe the old hymn would say it this way, we're called to trust in Jesus and to obey, right? Right? And the truth is, what greater thing could there be than to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior through believing in him, but then we live our life now in obedience to him, following him all the ways that he would lead us. Today in John chapter 2, on this day called Mother's Day, we see that loud and clear that we're called to believe in Jesus, but also to obey him in our life. In John chapter 2 this morning, as we open God's word, I want to preach to you on the subject, Mother Knows best mother knows best and i'm certain i mean you guys are more responsive already because the eight o'clock service there wasn't a single amen but mothers often do know best long before it was a song made popular by disney god showed us at least in john chapter 2 it is often the case that mothers know best but i want to begin by asking you a question do you recall ever a time in your life that you found it difficult to listen to your mother Do you recall ever a time in your life that frankly you questioned whether or not your mother knew best? I remember my own life as a child. I remember especially becoming a teenager and all of a sudden I thought just because I had turned 15, I was now a man and I knew more than my mom. And I remember many times in my defiance that my dad would have to remind me, son, listen to your mother. And I would ask why? And he would often say, because I said so and because she knows best. The truth be told this morning is that when you think back to your time growing up in your home, or maybe you're a child or a teenager even still today, sometimes we need to be reminded that mothers do indeed know best. There are many things that our mothers can teach us if we're really listening to them. Sometimes we learn by the great things they teach us, and sometimes we learn maybe even by the not so great things they teach us. One writer years ago made a list of the top 30 things that his mother taught him, and unfortunately he had learned them through negative statements, but nonetheless, they provide a good example and maybe a little bit humorous way to begin the message this morning. I just chose a few of them, for example. Here's what he said. He said, mothers teach us about logic by saying things like this. If you fall out of that tree and break your neck, don't come crying to me, okay? Maybe you can relate. He said his mother taught him about religion by saying, you better pray that comes out of the carpet, right? He told us that his mother taught about perseverance by saying things like, you're gonna sit here all day until you eat that very last piece of broccoli. I don't know, maybe your mother taught you that. He said that his mother taught him about genetics by saying things like, you're just like your father. But my personal favorite that he said his mother taught him was this, he said his mother taught him about the circle of life by saying, I brought you into this world and I can take you out of it. Well, maybe that's a little bit more lighthearted than what we need to focus on today. But I believe of all the messages and of all the truths and of all the statements that a mother might ever give in her life, there is no greater statement, no greater direction than what we find in John chapter two at the words of the mother of Jesus. Mary, in this passage scripture, gives one of the most simple statements in all of the Bible. In fact, we could almost read the statement, drop the mic, and say, go do it. But in this statement, she shows us loud and clear what should be the priority and the focus of our life. I wanna ask you if you're physically able To stand to your feet, would you do so? As we look at the passage scripture and focus on the message, mother knows best. The Bible says this. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding and when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Jesus said to her, woman, what does that have to do with us? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, listen to this statement. Whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were six stone water pots set there for the Jewish custom of purification containing 20 or 30 gallons each. Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. So they filled them up to the brim. He said to them, draw some out now and take it to the head waiter. So they took it to him. When the head waiter tasted the water, which had become wine and did not know where it came from, But the servants who had drawn the water knew. The head waiter called the bridegroom and said to him, every man serves the good wine first and when the people have drunk freely, then he serves the poorer wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of his signs, Jesus did in Cana of Galilee. Listen to this. And manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. And after this, he went down to Capernaum, he and his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there a few days. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this moment together. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to read your word. I pray that we would not just read it, but that we would truly receive it and respond in obedience to you. And I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated this morning. Mother knows best. The pastor scripture that we've read today, I imagine is very familiar to many of us. This is the account of Jesus's first miracle during his earthly ministry. It's the story where Jesus was at the wedding in Cana of Galilee, and he turned the water into wine. But I believe what God is showing us in this moment is that this is an important moment not because merely of the wedding, not merely because of the words of Mary, but because of Jesus manifesting who he really was and how ultimately that led them to a place of faith and conviction about who he is. Here in this pastor's scripture, Jesus is at this wedding in Cana of Galilee. There are a lot of scholars that debate on why Jesus is there because at this moment, Jesus is largely an unknown person. We read this today in light of all these other miracles that Jesus did, but Jesus at this point had not yet performed a single, mini, uh, single miracle in his public ministry. And so in this moment, he's largely unknown. Some have said, well, maybe he was at this wedding because Nathanael, one of the people who were following him from, uh, from John chapter one, Nathanael was from this region, but that doesn't seem likely. What does seem likely is this, Jesus is at the wedding simply as the son of Mary, Three different times in this pastor's scripture, we see the specific reference that Mary was the mother of Jesus. In other words, this wedding is likely some sort of family wedding or some sort of wedding that's very close to the family of Jesus. And Jesus is simply there as a son of Mary. But it's there in that context that I believe God wants us to see three specific things about this miracle and how it should shape our life today. Three things this morning that we'll study together. If you're ready, would you say, all right. The first thing I want you to see this morning is the appeal of a mother. The appeal of a mother. Few things in life can be more attention-getting than the appeal of a loving, selfless mother. A loving and selfless mother is one who rarely wants attention. They're not looking for accolades. They're not looking for praise. They're not often looking for a pat on the back, so to speak. Instead, they're looking out for the needs of others. And as a result of that, when a loving and sacrificial selfless mother does request something, does make an appeal, so to speak, it gets our attention. It stirs our heart. When a loving, selfless mother asks something of you, it brings us to a place where we want to help. If within reason, anything that we can do, we want to be a support and assistance. That was certainly the case in this moment with Mary as she begins to bring an appeal both to Jesus and to the servants at the wedding. Three things I want you to see about Mary, and frankly, her kind of the way we view her as a mother. The first thing is this, I want you to see her concern. Immediately in this wedding celebration, we began to recognize that Mary was an individual who was not flippant. When she saw a problem, she didn't throw it under the carpet, so to speak. She was a person of great concern. Good mothers are often very concerned about the people around them. And not only that, they're also very observant. In fact, for a good mother, very few things get past them. There were many times as a teenager that I thought I was pulling one over on my mom or there were things that were hidden, but I didn't realize at that time that God is omniscient and my mom is really close, okay? Like she knew just about everything. Why? Because she was concerned about us and she was observant of the things that were going on in our life. Proverbs chapter 31 describes the virtuous woman as a mother in verse 27 who looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. We see that in the context of our life. Normally, if there is a problem with a child, if there is some sort of instruction or advice that is needed, if there is a resource that is needed for someone in the home, normally and generally speaking, the mother is the first to identify that. God has wired her in that way. Here we see of Mary that Mary had that same kind of concern. Can I just say to you today that if you were raised by a mother who looked after you and cared for you and genuinely was concerned about you, thank God that was a gift from him to you. If you are married to a woman who is a mother, who mothers in that type of way, thank God. I personally am so thankful for both the mother that God has given me and the wife that God has given me who takes care of our children in such a way, Mary had that kind of concern. And we see that here in this wedding. Now we don't know if this was merely a family member's wedding that she was at. It certainly seems likely that she was in some way involved with either the preparing of the food or the distribution of the food, we don't know. But what we see quickly is this. Mary became one of the first people to be aware that wine was running out at the wedding. And please understand in our day today, that doesn't maybe sound like that big of a deal. But in that day, it was a huge deal. When a wedding took place in that day, they don't do it how we do it. In our culture today, a couple gets married and then there's a wedding reception and it may last an hour, two hours, three hours, maybe a long time, like four hours. And then after that, you say, God bless you, see you later. You throw bird seed as hard as you can. You blow bubbles and you do everything that you can to make that moment memorable for the bride and the groom as they head off into their honeymoon. In that day, the wedding feast lasted. Are you ready for this? a whole week. Talk about a celebration. Talk about putting badness to shame, okay? This was one big celebration of eating and observing enjoying and music and dancing. It was all sorts of fun and all sorts of festivities. It was a huge celebration. As a result of that, when a wedding celebration took place, it was such a big community event. Everyone was brought together that if you did not have the necessary provisions to take care of your guest, It would not only be socially awkward, it would not only be socially embarrassing, it would be very costly, costly in relationship, costly in social setting. Even in the context of that culture, listen to this, legally, you could be fined for such a place of embarrassment. When Mary recognizes that the, literally the wine is running out, she is concerned for the needs of the bride and the groom. She's concerned at what it's going to cost them. She's concerned about the embarrassment. She's concerned about how this would unfold. And With that concern, she goes to Jesus. The second thing I want you to see is her conviction. Now, remember, at this moment, it would not make any sense to anyone else in the group to go to Jesus. I mean, why go to Jesus? What's so unique about Jesus? Remember, Jesus hadn't yet raised a dead man to life. He hadn't yet given sight to a blind man. He hadn't yet been able to to, to heal the lame man. He hadn't done any of those things yet. And so people are kind of looking at this, but they had no thought to go to Jesus, but Mary did. Why did Mary in this moment go to Jesus? She did so for one reason and one primary reason only. She had a deep conviction and awareness of exactly who Jesus was. Here in this moment, recognizing the predicament, recognizing the problem and understanding the concern of the moment, the Bible says she immediately went to Jesus and she just simply said this, they have no wine. Now remember, this is the same Mary, the mother of Jesus, who had heard other messages from God and from God's representatives to confirm the identity of her son, Remember, it was this same Mary that heard the message from the angel, uh, very specifically when the angel came and spoke in Luke chapter 1, verses 31 and 32. When the angel said of this child, you shall name him Jesus, he will be great and he will be called the Son of the Most High. Then fast forward to Luke chapter 2. The Bible says that once Jesus was born there on that Bethlehem night, the shepherds from the hillside, they came there to the manger, how they knew. Mary didn't understand at that moment, but they came and they reported everything that the angels had said to them. And the Bible says when they saw Jesus, they fell down and there they worshiped him. The Bible says in Luke chapter two, Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. Fast forward to the end of Luke chapter 2. We get a glimpse of Jesus as a 12-year-old boy as he's there in the temple. And the Bible says when Mary and Joseph show up, literally, he is astounding. The scholars and the scribes and the priests, they'd never heard anyone speak like this, this child. And the Bible says in that moment that Mary treasured these things and pondered them in her heart. You know what she's doing? Even from the beginning of Jesus' birth being foretold to even Jesus being born and worshiped, now to a 12-year-old boy teaching and astounding the masses, she's recognizing that this child is exactly who God said. He is the son of God. In this moment, Mary comes to Jesus because she has a conviction about who he is. Now, I do want to say something about Mary in this moment, and that is this. Mary wasn't perfect I realize there are some that have deified Mary to such a place that they'll say, listen, you need to pray to her, you didn't talk to her after all, she's the great mother of God. But Mary herself was imperfect, and even though we see her conviction in this moment, we also see a glimpse of her imperfection. Because when mama comes to you and says, they have no wine, please understand, she is insinuating and she is implying exactly what she thinks Jesus ought to do, Right? In other words, there's a word of suggestion here. Oh, Jesus, they're out of wine. And you get the, kind of you get the impression that she's trying to motivate him. She's trying to encourage him. She's trying to lead him to do something according to what she thinks should happen. Now, please understand, I appreciate the fact that she didn't tell Jesus exactly what he ought to do. Jesus was a grown man and he was God in flesh. I appreciate the fact that she didn't sweep it under the rug and then go, oh, it'll work itself out. No, no, she's addressing it. But we hear, see here just a bit of a glimpse, if you will, of Mary's humanity. I wanna remind you that the same Mary in Luke chapter one who confessed her need for a savior, her need for God to rescue her and deliver her from sin, we get for just a moment here the reality that even a good mother is imperfect. We see that with Mary here by what she's insinuating. Mary knew that she wasn't perfect, and yet here in this moment, the one thing she does right is this. She brings it to the person who is perfect, who can do any and everything She brings it to Jesus. Why? Because she's convicted about who he is. Number three, I want you to see then her command. We'll talk about how Jesus responded to this in just a moment, but the very next words of Mary are this in verse five. His mother then looked at the servants and said to them, listen to this key word of advice, this command, whatever he says to you, do it. Whatever Jesus says to you, Do it. You know, on a day like Mother's Day especially, I cannot help but to think of this. Mothers and fathers, even for that example, what greater thing is there that you and I might teach our children than to know the Lord Jesus Christ, to listen to his word, and to follow him? At the earliest of ages, we should be doing everything that we can with our life and with our words to make sure we're pointing them to a relationship with Jesus, to a a response to his word, to an obedience to what he says. I remember years ago, whenever Mac, our oldest, who turns 18 today, by the way, I remember whenever he was a little boy, maybe four or five years old, and we were sitting there one day watching an Alabama football game like good fathers and sons will do, and I remember, just kidding, make sure you're awake, I remember having him in my lap and all of a sudden, he asked me this really deep question. Like, I'm mean, like five years old, roughly. He said, Daddy? I said, yeah, buddy. He said, what did you want to be when you grow up? What he was asking is, when I was a kid, what did I want to be? And I said, well, buddy, when I grew up, I wanted to be a quarterback for Alabama. That was, that was my dream. That's what I wanted to be. And he kind of looked at me, and I said, but that's not what I am. And he said, nope. And he said, well, why are you a preacher? Why are you a preacher? He couldn't say, why are you a preacher? And I said, Because I prayed about it and God convicted me and I think he spoke to my heart and told me he wanted me to preach. And so I'm not going to be a quarterback at Alabama, I'm going to be a preacher for my life. He looked at me like the thought of a child and he said, that's okay, daddy, we'll buy you a helmet. You know, like well, his little mind, he saw it as kind of a compromise, I guess. But what I was trying to say to him at the youngest of ages is, listen, buddy, it's not about our dreams or aspirations. It's about God and it's about his word. What is he calling us to do? Here in this moment, Mary's going listen. It's not about me. It's not about my attention. It's not about my ability. It's not about my relationship with the bride and groom. Here's what's important. All of you who are servants at the wedding, look to Jesus. Whatever he says, do it. In this moment, Mary is placing an emphasis on two primary things. She's placing an emphasis on what Jesus says and their response to it. Why is there an emphasis on what Jesus says? And the reason why is simply this. Mary understood that Jesus was not merely her son. Jesus was not only the son of God, he was the living word of God made flesh. John chapter one says it this way. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the father, full of grace and truth. This is why in Luke chapter two, verse 47, when Jesus is there as a 12-year-old boy talking to the scribes and the Pharisees, the experts in the law, the experts in the Old Testament, the Bible says, all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Jesus' earthly ministry, John chapter seven, verse 46, the priests and the Pharisees, even the experts of the day who were his enemies, confess this, never has a man spoken the way this man speaks. All throughout the New Testament, we see this reality through the Gospels of Jesus speaking and speaking with authority and speaking with power and speaking with conviction. Why? Because he is the living word of God. There's a res- importance there. Whatever he says, listen to it. But not only listen to it, she emphasized the response of obedience. Whatever he says, do it. Remember, Jesus himself said in John chapter 14, verse 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. What's he saying? If you love me, obey what I'm calling you to do. First John chapter five, verse three says it this way, for this is the love of God that we keep or we obey his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. In other words, when we recognize that all of God's commandments, all of God's instruction, all of his word is ultimately for his glory and even for our good, it's not overwhelming. It's not burdensome. It's not debilitating. No, it is delivering and it is freeing and it is joy giving. Why? Because he is the living word of God in flesh. Here in this moment, Mary simply says, whatever he says to you, do it. This concern to Jesus. She has given really a suggested implication of what she thinks he should do. And then she has looked at the servants and said, whatever he says, do you do it? Jesus now put on the spot has to give an answer. And I'm saying it's the answer of the master because I want us to recognize in this moment, he was not merely the son of Mary. He was the son of God. And so I want us to see how the master answered the request that his mother brings him. He does so in three ways. The first thing I want you to see this morning is his awareness. We read that statement in verse 4, and, well, let's just read it together. Verse 4, the Bible says, And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with us? My hour has not yet come. Sometimes we hear that word, Woman. It sounds a bit offensive, would you agree? Or even a little bit harsh, perhaps. Mary comes to Jesus and he says, woman, what you talking about? You know, like, I mean, it sounds a little like abrasive, if you will. But please understand, this was not him being rude or harsh. In fact, Jesus referred to other ladies in the context of scripture as woman. Did you know in that culture, it was often not accepted for men and women to speak together in public in this way? That's why the disciples were shocked to see Jesus speaking to the woman at the well in John chapter 4. But often when Jesus does speak to them, it was a common thing to say, Woman. Perhaps you remember the woman who was caught in the, in the midst or caught in the act of adultery. And the Bible says that the Pharisees came and they were wanting literally to stone her to death. Jesus got down into the ground and began to write. He said, He who has, he without sins, let him cast the first stone. And one by one, they dropped the stones and walked away. And then Jesus said to her, Woman, where are your accusers? Just a common address. But what is startling to us is this. He didn't use a word of affection like mama or mother. I mean, in our day, if your mama asks you a question and you say, woman, please understand. I don't know if you're going to see another day in your life, okay? Like, I don't know how this is going to work out for you. But what strikes us interesting is that he doesn't call her mama or mother. He says, woman, what does that have to do with us? I believe the us in this moment is a direct reference to the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. In other words, by his very statement, by his very question, he is showing her of what he is aware of. He is aware that not only is he the son of Mary, so to speak, he is in fact the son of God. And as a result of that, there is nothing that he would ever do that was contradictory to the will of the Father. In other words, in this moment, it's like he's looking at her and saying, Mary, I know that you're my mother, and I love you, and I value you, I honor you, I respect you, but I must be about the purpose and the will of my father. Let me illustrate that in other passages of scripture. As a 12-year-old boy, maybe you remember the day that Mary and Joseph, according to Luke chapter two, and their family, and perhaps people in their community, they all went to Jerusalem to worship, and then they left Jerusalem, they're on their journey when they suddenly realize that they're missing a child. Not a good feeling. The Bible says in, John, in Luke chapter two that literally it had been three days that Jesus was missing when they finally found him. I can only imagine the panic that must have been in their hearts. When they found him, listen to verse 48 and 49 of Luke chapter two. When they saw him, they were astonished and his mother said to him, son, Why have you treated us this way? You get the impression that the reason he's missing is because Jesus snuck away from the crowd. Behold, your father, speaking of Joseph and I, we have been anxiously looking for you. Listen to Jesus' response. He said to them, why is it that you were looking for me? Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? Or or the other translation, the King James says it this way: "Did you not know that I must be about my father's business?" In other words, Mama, I love you, I respect you, and I honor you. But I want to remind you: I am the Son of God, and I must do exactly as He leads me to do. This is what Jesus was saying in John chapter five, verse thirty: "I can do nothing on my own initiative." John chapter eight, verse 28 and 29. I do nothing on my own initiative, but I speak the things as the Father taught me. He who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. Listen to this. For I always do the things that are pleasing to him. In other words, every aspect of Jesus' life was lived completely in harmony, in unity, and in submission to the will of God the Father. Jesus, in this moment of response, makes it aware. I'll remind you. I am the son of God. For that very reason, the very next statement says, for mine hour has not yet come. We saw this last week. We see it again this week. All throughout the gospel of John, we see this reality that Jesus lived on a divine timetable, always aware of the father's will and always aware of the timing by which he was coming to this world to give his life on the cross for the sins of the world. That's why in John chapter 2, John chapter 7, John chapter 8, Jesus would say, my hour's not yet come. But then as the time would near, in John 12 and John 13, he would say, now is the hour for the Son of Man to be glorified. Always aware of the Father's will, always aware of exactly what he's calling him to do, which leads us back to the wedding in Cana of Galilee. Jesus' awareness. The second thing I want you to see now is his assignment. The fact of the matter is, Jesus in this moment seemed a bit hesitant because he knew it was not time for him to be fully revealed as God in flesh, manifested his glory for all to see. But even as he speaks to Mary, he begins to discern, he understands the Father's will and purpose in this moment. It is his will to work. It is his will to intervene. It is his will to work a miracle, but only one that privately people would fully understand. We see this in the context of his assignment. So think of this for just a moment. Jesus is there, Mary has come to him. You get the impression that not only has Mary come to him, but now there are servants that are close by. And Jesus begins to give an assignment. It's almost like he gives them a practical action that if really in some ways would be a testing of their faith. Jesus looks over, he sees six stone water pots. Each water pot would hold 20 to 30 gallons. You gotta understand, this thing's pretty heavy. These water pots are there because they were there for the purification purposes that the Jews practiced, which means that this is where they wash their hands. This is where they wash their bowls and their instruments for serving the various foods. And we get the impression from this pastor of scripture that the water pots were completely empty, which means they've used all they've got. There's nothing else there. Completely empty vessels. And Jesus gives a simple assignment, but it's profound if you think about it. He looks at them and says, Now, All right, he looks at the servants. They're eager. They're anticipating maybe there's something that Jesus can do. They seem to have a willingness about them because after all, they're desperate. They don't wanna run out of wine. They've been watching this and they've been wondering all along, is there a solution? Is there a plan? Is there something that can be done? So they're looking at Jesus. Jesus looks at them and says, no, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take the water pots and go fill them completely. Completely. I want you to recognize that this simple assignment of Jesus required three things of them. And the assignments of Jesus in our own life today, when God speaks to us and convicts us and leads us, it requires these same things. First, it required great willingness. They could not stay in their comfort zone, so to speak, and be obedient to the Lord at the same time. They had to be willing. Nothing about taking these water pots and going to get water was going to be easy or convenient. It literally meant that the servants would have to leave their post at the wedding reception, so to speak, go take them some distance, fill them with water, and bring them all the way back. They had to be willing to be a part of what Jesus was doing in the moment. Please understand that not one time do we read of them complaining, murmuring, criticizing, or even questioning Jesus in the whole event. Second thing I want you to see is this, it required great faith. I mean, I mean, think of this for just a moment. They're desperate for an answer, they're anticipating there's gonna be some direction, there's gonna be some kind of answer, and, and they look to Jesus, and Jesus answers, okay, here's what we're gonna do, guys. Get the water pots, go down to the river, get a lot of water, and bring it back. And I'm sure they're thinking, wait a second, this isn't gonna be good. We've been serving wine. Now you want us to serve water? I mean, I could picture it in my mind. If we were the one carrying the water pots, we're going all the way down to the river and we're like, who does this crazy guy think he is? What difference is this river water going to make when people are gonna be desiring wine? This isn't gonna help anything. It didn't make logical sense. But the whole point in this moment is this. Jesus is calling them to trust in who he is and to trust in his word. In other words, it's about Faith. It's about believing in him. It's about believing in what he can do. It's the same type of faith that Mary herself had as she looks to Jesus and then looks at the servant and says, Whatever he says, this you are to do. But I'm reminded that one of the beautiful things about desperate times and situations in our life is that it drives us to our knees and it causes us to realize our absolute dependence on the Lord. Desperate times are painful, and they are hard, and they are challenging. through it. But the beauty of those desperate times is this. It brings us to a place where we realize, God, what we need is you. We need your word, and we need to respond to whatever it is you call us to do. Just this morning, I was reading through the book of Job, like Job 21 through 24, and I'm reading about Job, and we all understand the desperate situation he went through in the Old Testament as he lost everything And in the middle of those chapters this morning, I read a statement I don't remember ever reading before. And that was when Job looked to God and he said, God, I am more desperate for your word than I am my necessary food. Here's Job literally with boils on his body in this moment of desperation, life and death depend upon the nourishment that he gets. And what he says, no, God, I could do without that. But what I really need, what I really am desperate for is your word. Would you give me a word? Let me ask you a question. When was the last time you were that desperate for a word from God? Whatever he says, do it. It required not only faith, it required surrender. They bring the water back. They just were there getting the water in the basins. They bring them there to Jesus. And Jesus said, all right, here's what you do next. I want you to dip into the water. Great, they dip into the water. Great, now I want you to take it to the headmaster. Uh, Excuse me? Uh, Jesus, I, I... I know where this water came from. I don't know if you've ever been on the mission field in a place like this. I know the people that were down the street, down the river there, washing their clothes and bathing in this stuff like, what? That's right, dip into the water and take it to the headmaster, the head waiter. What I want you to see is it also required great surrender, willingly surrendering their will to the word of the Lord Jesus Christ trusting that he could do the impossible. The Bible says that the servants did just that. They dipped into it, they took it to the head waiter, and when the head waiter tasted the water which had become wine now, and did not know where it came from, the head waiter called the bridegroom and he said to him, everyone serves the good wine first, and when the people have drunk freely, then he serves the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. In other words, in this moment, Jesus had done the impossible. Jesus literally, because he is God in flesh, he has all power and all authority, there's nothing he can't do, he literally had taken this water and he had completely turned it to wine. Think of that for just a moment. The first wine was the best that man could offer and the best that man could afford, but it was nothing in comparison to the sweet and good wine that Jesus provided. In the same way in our lives today, we must remember that everything Jesus offers is always better than the cheap counterfeits that are offered by the world around us. Here in this moment, what we're seeing is this, the best that the world had to offer, it ran out and it ran dry, but that which Jesus offered was sweeter and better than anything they had been offered before. And I remind you today, I don't know what you've experienced. I don't know where you've been. I don't know what you've bought into in the context of the world, but nothing will satisfy you, nothing will fulfill you, and nothing will save you apart from Jesus Christ. Third thing I want you to see in this context then is his authority. Jesus has the power to do the impossible. And when we come to impossible, dead-end roads and overwhelming situations and we can't see the outcome Jesus can still do the impossible. But there's a purpose in this miracle. See, the purpose in this miracle is not merely to tell us about his mother Mary. The purpose of this miracle really has nothing to do with wine like some people try to use to determine their stance on alcohol today. To be honest, I love the fact that this takes place at a wedding, but that is not even the primary message in this. The primary purpose in all of this is to help us understand who Jesus really is and to call us to believe in him. Listen to what John says. This beginning of his signs, Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples, what's the next word? Believed "believed in him. The purpose of this whole thing was to at least private. remember, not everybody who benefited from this wine was gonna recognize that Jesus was the one who did it. The only people who knew exactly what had taken place were his disciples, his immediate family, Mary, and these servants. Here they are in this moment, and they're recognizing that Jesus literally did the impossible. He turned the water into wine. Why was the purpose? The purpose was simply this, to call them to recognize that Jesus is who he says he is. He is the son of God, to call us to that place of believing in him. In fact so clearly is this is purpose that the theme of the gospel of John is that to is that we are to believe in Jesus and believing in him we will have life the authority of Jesus is found in this simple statement that Jesus was doing this as a means of the beginning of his signs to call them to a place of belief in him here's the question do you really believe in him today do you believe that he's the savior of the world? Do you believe that he's the son of God? Do you believe that he can do the impossible? Do you believe in him personally in your life? The final thing I want you to see is this. I want you to see the application of the message. This miracle reveals a powerful picture to us. Like the wine that ran out, the joy and pleasure of the world, they always promise fun and fulfillment, but they eventually run out, leaving us both emptiness and embarrassment. But the joy and the peace that the Lord gives, it is always new, it is always satisfying, and it is always better than anything else. But don't miss as well the application of the message. What is the personal application for us today? The first part of the application is very simple, and that is this. If you have not personally believed in Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, today is the day, now is the opportunity. You can, and you can be saved. You can know That same type of satisfaction, that same type of fulfillment that they experienced in this moment as Jesus turned the water into wine, you can know that personally by believing in Jesus. But the second part of that application has to do with all of us today who have already believed. Warren Wiersbe summarizes this. He says this, this miracle gives us a very practical lesson about service for God. The water was turned into wine partly because the servants cooperated with Jesus and obeyed his commands. Several of the miracles recorded in the book of John record that same cooperation of man and God. So we too must remember that when we do what God commands us to do, we are assisting him in performing a miracle. How do we get to that? How do we experience God doing the impossible in our life? How do we get to a place where we have that same type of humility and that same type of partnership, that same type of obedience? I wanna say three things and we'll close. Three practical applications to this message. Number one, make it a priority to spend time with Jesus. What did Mary say? Mary said, whatever he says to you, do it. Well, here's the question How do you know what Jesus is saying to you if your life is so busy and full of distractions that you can't be still? How do you know what Jesus is saying if your life is so full and so frantic that there's never any time to be still before the Lord and quiet before his presence? We must be willing to spend time with Jesus. According to John chapter 15, the key to hearing from Jesus, the key to walking with Jesus, the key to fruit in Jesus is to abide in Christ. Spend time with Jesus. Secondly, study his word we want to know what God is saying to us today, let's get back to what he's already said. Take time, make it a priority to get in God's word and read it and study it and seek it. God, what is it that you're saying to me? Every day when you begin to open God's word, sit down for a moment and pause and pray and say, God, I love you and I love your word and I know that you're speaking to me through your word. So God, would you speak to me today? Convict me where it's needed. Counsel me where it's needed. Comfort me where it's needed. But God, have your way in my life. And as we begin to study God's word, it's amazing how God begins to speak. Just this past Monday, I was at a conference in Richmond and I got up in the morning and I was reading. I just mentioned I've been reading the book of Job. And as I was reading the book of Job, as I was literally closing that passage of scripture, God began to convict me about the need for encouragement. And I, and I went to Nehemiah chapter four. I don't know why I did that. It was just kind of the direction I felt the Lord was leading. So I went and read Nehemiah chapter four about God's encouragement to the people as they were doing his work. And then I went and met with a group of pastors and we opened up with a Devo. And wouldn't you know that the pastor stood up and said, man, God's really been convicting me today to speak to you about Nehemiah chapter four. And I'm like, man, what a, what a powerful word. Like, but I don't really feel discouraged what's going on. On my way home from Richmond on Monday night, there was a pastor that God began to put on my heart and mind and hadn't talked to in several months. And so, out of the blue, I just called him and I said, Man, how you doing? And his exact words right. there. He said, I'm ready to quit. I said, Well, can I just tell you something? I said, Look, Let me tell you what my time with the Lord was this morning. Let me tell you about this devotional that I heard. And I basically just ended up reiterating to him the very things that God was convicting me about when my morning started. So, Pastor, what are you saying? I'm saying that when you get in God's word and study it, God will speak to you and lead you. And finally, surrender to his will. Surrender to his will. That was the whole point. Mary looking at these servants and saying, whatever he says to you, don't just say, Wow, oh, that's nice. Good to hear from Jesus again. No, do it. Can I just challenge us today to recognize that Jesus is the son of God. The only way to heaven is through him. I wanna ask you, have you believed in him to be your Lord and savior? If you haven't, you can today. But if you have, it doesn't just stop at salvation. It is then through salvation that we have a relationship with him where we begin to know him and to grow in him as we follow him. Mothers know best a lot of times. But no greater advice that a mother can give than the advice that Mary gave. Here's Jesus. Whatever he says, do it. Let's pray together. Would you bow your heads with me? Father in heaven, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for really this example, I think, of Mary as she didn't get it perfect, but she certainly submitted to the authority of Jesus. And all did she submit to his authority, she then looked at the servants and called them to do the same. God, I'm reminded today that you're looking for the same in our lives. Lord, many of us today are saved. But God, I pray that you'd help us today in that salvation to keep walking in relationship with you. That we would be zealous to hear from you and that we would be quick to obey you. Father, would you help us in that today? But Lord, I also believe that there are probably some of us here today that do not know Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We're trying to find pleasure and fulfillment in various things in the world. But eventually, we begin to realize that the things of the world are empty. They run dry. And frankly, they lead us to a place of emptiness and absolute desperation. God, I thank you when we come to the end of ourself, that we realize that you are full of grace and of mercy. You can save. You can do the impossible. Lord, I think of the disciples asking you, how is it possible that a man could even be saved? And you told them it was impossible with man, but it is possible with Father, help us today to come to an end of ourself and realize our absolute need and desperation for Jesus, for our salvation. Have your way in our lives right now, I pray. In Jesus' name. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. We encourage you to come and join us right here on our campus. We're located right next to the county fairgrounds here in Harrisonburg, Virginia. If you have any questions about the church, any question about the message, feel free to email us or call us and let us know. And we look forward to seeing you soon. God bless you.